eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Yes! What is up, everyone? And welcome to Eric Winalda's favorite podcast in soccer we trust. I'm Jimmy Conrad. Alongside our expert on the number nine position, Charlie Davies, and the best tour guide you could ask for if you're ever in Modesto, California, Heath Pierce. <laughs> and we are going to debate and discuss everything that we learned in the U.S. men's national team's four games in June. And as a refresher, in case you forgot, it was a 3-0 win over Morocco, a 0-0 draw against Uruguay, a 5-0 win over Granada, and a come from behind in the mud 1-1 draw against El Salvador. But before we hear from Charlie and Heath, I need to announce yet another winner of our $100 Paramount Plus gift card extravaganza. And it is Jake Ganaim. Hopefully I'm saying that right. You just want access, my friend, to one of the biggest catalogs of on-demand content in the world. Champions League, Europa League, NWSL, Serie A, CONCACAF World Cup qualifiers, the NFL, movie series, South Park. Woo! It's all happening on P+. So congratulations to you. We don't have a card to give away today, but we will hopefully moving forward. So be on the lookout. Make sure you keep giving us that support, both here on the YouTubes and any podcast platform of your choice. But drop us a follow, Pod on Twitter. That will always elevate your your ability and possibility of winning a P-plus gift card in the future. All right, Charlie Chuck Wagon Davies, you weren't here with us yesterday as we talked about the World Cup host cities. Congratulations to your Boston, Boston Strong, getting one of the, the, one of the 11 cities in America to get that. So you, let's start there. What were your thoughts on Boston getting selected? Well, I'm, I'm hyped. I mean, so that was the first experience I ever had was going to a World Cup game when it came to soccer. So 1994, it's my eighth birthday. My dad gets a ticket where he says, we're going. It's Bolivia, subverse South Korea. Never had heard of those countries at the time. And I come to the stadium and you could just see all walks of life. Everyone's accepted. Face paint, you know, the balloons, all the, the gear. And that's what hooked me to the sport. So when I'm looking at the future and I'm looking at the, the Boston community, everyone's coming to, to, the, to the stadium to watch these games. It, it could potentially change someone's life. All these little kids gives them hopes and dreams. And so I'm excited. No, it's, it's a big deal. And I'm glad you brought that up. Heath and I shared some personal stories as well. And that's very cool that you got a ticket to go and got to really experience it in a way that I do think it changes your life in a positive way. So it's exciting. And obviously we'll have plenty of time. We got four years to ramp up to 2026. We'll have plenty of time to break down all those host cities, maybe even one by one uh, as we move forward and what makes all these cities so special, including Canada and Mexico selections as well. But let's talk about this camp that we learned in June, as I mentioned, four games. But let's break this down in three different ways, Heath. We're going to go tactics. We're going to go personality mm -hmm. and personnel. So let's talk about the tactics. What did we learn 
from your perspective in this June camp about our tactics, not only individually, maybe putting Brendan Aronson in the middle of the field, but, but collectively as well. And do you think Greg Berhalter was pressing the right buttons, him and his coaching staff? I still think we'll continue to have a number nine issue. So tactically, I think we're not getting the most out of our number nine. And I also think the number nine is not getting the most out of themselves. Granted, of course, Ferreira, I think, is uh, is is on top and, and, and our starter at the moment. And unbelievable job to get four goals no matter who you play against. But I do think this team has the ability to attack. Now that I've seen a little bit of this tinkering that we've seen where we attack in a back three, defend in a back four. My worry, though, is as the team comes back together tactically, do we have that? Uh, do we have that balance? If our attack's going to come from high and wide fullbacks, is that the best way to attack? Because while it's nice at times, I've continued to see when we, more specifically when we had Brendan Aronson in there, or a more attacking-minded player centrally, they are more linked up into our attacking three or our attacking trio, and I like that. So I think we do have the ability to make those iterations, and I think that's an exciting, uh, it's an exciting thing to think about, though, in this World Cup, I think we'll probably be a little bit more conservative team. Yeah, so Chuck, let's talk about that adaptability because as we saw against Morocco, Reggie Cannon was playing the right back spot, but he was there to maybe sit a little bit and give us more of a back three, and then Anthony Robinson can bomb forward, and he was bombing forward against Morocco, and I thought that in some ways that, that pushed and pinned back one of their top players in Ashraf Hakimi and, and really allowed us to maybe dictate a little bit more of that middle of the field because we were just being, I don't want to say risk-taking, but we were putting – our guys in situations where we had more numerical advantages. And I thought that was a good tactical test for us. And I thought we passed in that game in particular. There was about 15, 20 minutes in the first half where it got a little sketchy when they switched from one point to the other, where maybe we struggled a little bit. But it seemed like we identified how to slow that down against Uruguay. We did a double pivot in the first two games and obviously went to a single pivot against Granada because we should. We're, we're much better than them and had two attacking midfielders as opposed to, to kind of two holding. You know, what were your thoughts on the overall tactics? And, and do you think, to Heath's point, that maybe bombing forward with two wingbacks is the best way to go going forward? Or do you think we're actually a little bit better when we just have one? Because when we have Dest and Anthony Robinson both out there at the same time, that does make us vulnerable on the counterattack. Shout out to everybody in the comments. Um, Silence of the Lambs. Uh, that's, that's a great one. Uh, the the, the courts, the butterflies. Uh, David Hurst is the artist. Uh, CP's frosted tips. Yes, kindergarten classroom. Uh, this would be a, a lit, this would be a lit kindergarten classroom. Oh, uh, it would be. But uh, what I what I learned about this team is we we can consider the strongest part of our group is the midfield, and it's Adams, McKinney, and Musa. That that's the trio, and that's not changing. I think what we want to see from McKinney and Musa in particular is that they could be, you know, more active in the attacking third, a part of the play, playing through them, creating chances. I think Musa showed that he does have that that number 10 ability. He can be the player who can dribble, play one twos. And if the more we have flexibility to change the way we need to play against certain opponents, the better it is. And I think we learned to what he said. We don't have to rely on outside backs giving us width. We don't have to rely on Anthony Robinson, you know, sending 20 crosses into the box or when Sergio Dest is there doing the same thing. It's great that we have flexibility. And I think with this group, we learned um, it's still a work in progress, but I think we're much more confident in who they are and in their identity. And I think they're growing within um, the system. So I'm pumped about the midfield. And I think, it's all going to dictate 
how well we do, the success is going to come from the midfield and Musa, McKinney, and Adams. And, and, you know, hopefully Christian Pulisic can get going knowing that these are the strengths and this is uh, the, the, you know, the tendencies of our team and him trying to find isolation because that's where he's going to be the best is if he, we can get him isolated one v one or he's just constantly moving and taking one or two touches until he gets into the box. Okay, you know, I like uh, the insight from both of you guys on that. What I think about when I'm listening to both of you is somewhat, let's talk about the disappointment. I was actually disappointed that in these four games, Team Away didn't get a run out at number nine, just to show us what it looked like. We had 45 minutes to spare there against one of those four opponents to take a look. I think that's clear that Greg Berhalter is not even going to consider it because he's not going to try it in the, the two September friendlies. And one of which is against Saudi Arabia, which has been confirmed in Spain. So we can talk about that. Uh, a little bit later in the show. Any any disappointments for you, Heath, about maybe something we should have tried and we didn't, or or you know maybe a player that didn't step up when they should have. I mean, any, what, what any any disappointments for you? I, the only one for me that jumps out tactically, I suppose, is Team Away not getting a run out from number nine and just allowing us to see what that would look like. Uh, I was disappointing disappointed in Haji Wright and the chances that that he got. That's less tactic and that's more personnel. So I'll leave that for for later on. But tactically. Again, didn't really show an ability to contribute to the team in the system that we played when he wasn't on the ball or wasn't trying to get the ball in spots. He never really got the ball. But, like, it, there wasn't an, uh, something else. And the reason I keep going back to the, the, what I saw differently with Brendan Aronson tactically is it's the best that I've seen us press in terms of winning the ball in good spots, picking it off, and not having to play through everything, which is weird because with with Yunus Musa on the field, I think we have the ability to play through the lines. But... We also need to have the ability to win the ball in higher spots up the field because I don't think with MMA we, we, we can play through every time or that there's a comfort of like, you know, the expectation might be a little too high to, to think that we can play through comfortably uh, through the midfield if it's not Yunus Musa on the ball. Okay. So I, okay. I say the little disappointment on, on, on not having, not seeing another option at this point. Can, but can, can we take into consideration that after the Morocco game, Haji Wright got 45 minutes mm -hmm. and everybody was like, Guy scored a penalty, obviously put himself in good spots, was holding up the ball well, helped us transition. Everybody's like, oh, this Haji Wright guy might be the answer and, and could really maybe help give us more competition. <clears throat> Greg didn't like him. Let's spot. be honest. Greg didn't like him. Greg didn't like him. He went out okay. there and said it. He basically said it. Like, he didn't but, but, like him. But so that's hard. For me, it's hard to evaluate the El Salvador game because that was just a mud bowl, right? But so no, Greg went after has... him. That's my point. Greg went after him after that. Like, basically yeah, okay. said, like, it's always, it's always uh, tough when someone gets their chance and doesn't take it. That's Greg writing him off. Like we've we've seen that before with Greg well, talking course. about playing time with Jordan others Peepock, when some John aren't Brooks. playing and they're called. Yeah, like there is a lot of like Greg 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 is not afraid to go out and put a stamp on something when you probably add that performance to the hype that he was getting to what Greg's now seen for uh, three weeks in training. I feel I feel like that's that's probably he's probably written off at this point. Charlie, you agree with this? You think that Haji writes out? I don't think he's out. But right now he's on the outside looking in. Okay. Right. I like he's behind Pepe, and he could have been ahead of Pepe based on just four. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I think that that's very fair to say, and I think it's more than the performances. I'm sure it's the way he maybe carried himself. Maybe he felt like he had already won his spot in a way. Maybe it was just mm -hmm. the the vibe around the group was ah I'm I'm pretty lax and chill because I I'm so comfortable, and I think. You know, those things can rub a coach the wrong way. If I if I was a manager and you bring in a player and you give him an opportunity, but he he's already like, ah, I've I feel like I've made it, you know, and it's not giving a hundred percent commitment, first in first in the training room, first on the pitch, you know, those are the things you want to see. Uh, 
super excited. Maybe, I, I don't know if that's the case, but maybe sure. that could play into it. And we don't know. But if you're talking about what we saw on the pitch, again, it, it was from all the hype that was built up, it was a little bit disappointing. So, you know. But, but I'm just saying, I just want to remind everybody because there's some recency bias here that after the Morocco game, everybody was feeling pretty good about Haji Wright. And we were complimentary of him because of his hold up play, because he found mm -hmm. himself in good spots. And obviously it was cool Pulisic to give him the penalty to have that, that goal. There's clearly a friendship there between those two. And as we've discussed before, but it wasn't, Donovan, it, it wasn't you know. performance based though, Jimmy. I don't think it, it was, it was, it wasn't necessarily that he didn't get his goal. He didn't get his chances in the box. It was that he didn't do more, like do more in a game, the game. I see. I see. You're going down to El Salvador. You, what you saw from this team when they went down a goal was this ability to now tap into something that they developed through qualifying, and that's just a fight, right? And that's one of the upsides that I found with this team is that mm -hmm. tactically throw that out. Sometimes this team is going to dictate play. We saw against Morocco. This team can play. They can mm -hmm. play football. like and, and probably as good as any generation I've seen in terms of the quality of the players on the field that you say, okay, we got a nice pitch, nice day against another team that wants to play football. We're going to play. That's what I saw against Morocco. But what I saw against El Salvador was a slow start and not a good performance, but their ability to now flip that switch and say, you know what? Forget all that. Forget fight. Morocco. Forget Uruguay. Yeah, we got to fight. And that's the only way we're going to get out of this. And then you start seeing that fighting, that one-on-one -on -one battle, that personality come out of this team that has developed. I wanted to see that from Haji Wright to say, I'm part of the same generation. I'm part of this Christian Pulisic generation. I'm going to fly into challenges. I'm going to scrap. I'm going to fight. I'm going to get into everything, which I know was representative a little bit of like the dirty the dirty uniform reference that I gave in a couple couple uh, pods ago. But that is what I wanted to see, which is when Ricardo Pepe was scoring for the national team, we're still complimenting him on his ability to get others involved and have an impact and do things better than others in terms of just showing that you can do something on the field even if you're not scoring goals. Now, still get judged by scoring goals, but that's that's the thought around Haji Wright. Do more. Okay, I just I just wanted to take into consideration that each game had a different look and a different feel. And, and let's move into personality then, Charlie, because when I saw... Morocco, obviously, I thought our high press was fantastic. So it kind of merged the tactics and that gave us a lot of confidence. Obviously, scoring a bunch of goals uh, only gave us more and more. And I thought that we managed situations pretty well, especially after giving up a couple things and then kind of tightening things up, uh, all things considered in that. Uruguay was a completely different test. And what I really came out of that with that game is, even though maybe Uruguay deserved the result, they had probably more clear-cut chances than we did. We still found a way to get a result, which I think is a testament to, a, to being a very good team. And I still remember Christian Pulisic talking trash to that Uruguayan player and like running his mouth like, okay, buddy. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Keep talking, you know? And I like that there's a little bit of that swagger in our team that we do have that belief in ourselves and, and that we aren't afraid to, to kick back and stand up for, for who we are, what we stand for. And we also saw that to his point in the El Salvador game that it just got to a point that was so CONCACAF that we just had to figure out a way to grind and, and, and grit our way through that. And, and, and we did it to, to great effect and found a way to get back into that. Again, getting another result. And really what I think that speaks to when we think about it tactically and from a personality standpoint, we have this adaptability that mm -hmm. I think is really important because we're going to get three different types of opponents at the World Cup as well. It, it's, and it's going to be an important factor on how we advance out of the group because you have to be adaptable. You can't be one-dimensional. You can't you know, be predictable, which I think we have been at, at, at times throughout World Cup qualifying. You know, how many times have we seen Anthony Robinson make the same run, the same pass into his feet or in, into the into the channel and the same cross? And it was on repeat. And we're like, 
do we have other ways to attack? Or, or you know, and then if, if those weren't going wrong, it was like, all right, guys, uh, now we're going to go on the other side. And Timo Wea, you go down, and we're just going to pass it to you. <laughs> so I think now they're figuring out different passing patterns and when to switch the point of attack. And let's not just, you know, go look for Anthony Robinson. This time, Anthony Robinson, I just want you to stay. I don't want you to overlap. Stay back. Christian, you occupy, occupy the whole left side. Now we're going to get you 1v1. And so I think now there's, we're starting to see that. What are you, a coach now, Charlie? You're a coach? Time. You a coach now? You a coach now or something? Yeah, All of a sudden, Boston yeah. becomes yeah. a World Cup host yeah. city. And yeah. Charlie's Austin, it all let's go now, England, now England. Charlie's got a, a magnet tactical board on his uh, – uh, <laughs> right hey, By the way, my, my butterflies. Hey, so listen they have a lot little, of boards in kindergarten rooms. That's Listen to this little little anecdote. I went for for I went for a drink with – uh, a friend of Richie Graham's, was one, Richie Graham was one of the owners of Philadelphia Union and, oh, and Four Soccer Ventures. Okay. Here we go. And God. his good friend is Rodolfo Burrell, who's the head assistant at Manchester City. And he was out here. Here we go. No, this is the only one. Well, Charlie came in hard uh, yesterday, so I was just like, dude, I've, I'm feeling a little insecure right now. The owner, uh, yeah. the owners of the union, and then uh, yeah. this other guy, he's the yeah. Sultan. You literally Hawaii. have brought up Damian Hurst to start the show. <laughs> Damian Hurst is the most successful artist in living times in the United Kingdom, Charlie. So you've already gotten your flex in for the day and you've got four of them. Okay. 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 Now that's, that's just one wing of his house though. Heath. I mean, there's and, like yeah, five other wings. One, one wing. Uh, and so, uh, I know it's one of those Billy Madison's I heard things in the background. I thought maybe they're having like a petting zoo, like people come over to Charlie's <laughs> petting zoo that he has at, at the house. But, uh, the, uh, Apparently, he used to travel around only with like some sort of little uh, little tactical board that had magnets on it, always that fit into his pocket, so that if anybody started talking, he would pull out his magnets and Stop. start doing like tactical things. And apparently, he doesn't carry it around him anymore. But uh, he tried to bring it up, and he's like, "No, I don't do that anymore." As if he was like a reformed like tactician of like, <laughs> you know, like I stopped getting the magnets out at the dinner table. But yeah, there was a fun. Uh, just thinking about Charlie and uh, the fact that he's a, he's a coach now. Apparently, he's a coach. Yeah, that's. I'm, I'm we're excited for you, Charlie. I am an analyst. <laughs> you are an analyst, but that okay, sounded so like a coach. Okay, so we've done tactics. We've done <laughs> personality. Let's talk about personnel, and and any players that potentially. I don't, I don't want your man of the camp just yet. We're going to talk about that uh, after the break. But but in terms of personnel and what we saw, and Charlie, I'll come come back to you on this. You know, is it Brendan Aronson centrally? Is now Brendan Aronson a super sub when he didn't come off the bench against yeah. Granada? He does provide that spark. You know, De La Torre obviously provided a spark for us. I think we need to mention him. I think he solidified his spot in the team. Uh, Ariola, I thought, was very good when he came on and had his minutes. You know, whatever you think of him, all you MLS haters out there, I think he still provides something that maybe some other players don't. And I think he's a good locker room guy. And I think that's important as you build a team and build chemistry that uh, you have players that can, that can accept different situations, especially if they're not starting. Is there anything personnel-wise you saw? Cameron Carter-Vickers, I think, was solid in his two games. Mm -hmm. But it was, you know, came on at halftime against Morocco, started against Granada, started against El Salvador. Like, was he really tested in a way that that's gonna, what it's going to look like in a World Cup? Do I, I'd love to see him a little bit more no, in the September no friendlies. Knows, Jimmy, in, in this right. case, no one was really going to get tested. But it was more, how do they fit? How do they move? Can he play out of the back with his feet? The, you know, it's, you're just trying to get a baseline. And then you're saying, is this someone we could potentially play there? And, mm -hmm. and, and now we're going to follow and track him. And then for the September friendlies, maybe if he continues to play the way he, he does, you, you put him in next to, to Zimmerman. If Richards isn't healthy and, and Aaron Long hasn't continued to, to progress. 
but 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 let's be honest, Heath. I'm coming to you. Aaron Long looks like he's a lockdown starter. He's the only player I think that started all four games. Maybe Christian did it as well. But it's clear that Greg loves Aaron Long. We've been saying mm -hmm. it before, and now that he's had this opportunity to play him, it makes me wonder, everybody, if Miles Robinson had stayed healthy. It, it feels like he wanted to get Aaron Long in there. So who would he have taken out? Walker or, or Miles? I don't even really know. That's, I guess, a question we won't have to have answered because Miles is hurt, unfortunately. But but anything from you from a personnel standpoint? Because it yeah. feels like our goalkeeper situation is sorted, right? Sean Johnson was was good. Horvath made a mistake. But, I mean, it's clear that he's got qualities. And then, and then Matt Turner seems like our number one right now because Zach Steffen couldn't come in, unfortunately. So, so you know, what, 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 what stands out for you personnel-wise? Well, it goes back to my point of midfield being the, the the most solid part of our team because not only McKinney, Moose, and Adams, but you also have Aronson, Delatore, who I think Luca Delatore helped himself again in this camp, Agreed. and Kellen Acosta, another player who is going to be on the roster, solid. Mm -hmm. But Gio Reyna, I mean, yes, he could play on the right for way for Wea, but if Timo Wea, who I think has solidified his spot as the, the attacking right wing right now, and and now he's being linked to Valencia. And I think he'll be playing on the wing too if he goes to Valencia. So I think that you, you would put possibly Reyna in, in a slot in the midfield. Uh, I think you could play him all over the, the, the attacking pitch, actually, um, all front three, uh, the both wingers and the midfield yeah, yeah. position. But you have Even a false super you subs. You have, you, have, you have some super subs in, in, that, in that manner. So I guess it's still the the forward depth chart because whoever does start and right now it's Jesus Ferreira you also have to have somebody who's going to come off the bench in that nine position and I don't think we have that yet so we don't have we're not even hundred percent sold on Jesus Ferreira for a lot of people but um, you know you're looking at who can come in and change the game and also that plays into Greg Berhalter who he's looking to Jordan Pifok is not a player you you know is going to stretch the game if you need a goal you need someone to run. He's not going to do that. Maybe if you're just lumping balls in. Maybe it's Jordan in, Morris now, right? Yeah. Jordan Morris, Mr. <laughs> yeah. Solomon so, Headers in the, against El Salvador. I mean, I, I would say, Jimmy, real quick, is that that the, the, the thing that I would say is a positive that came out of this, and maybe it's a little too late. And it's kind of a negative because I think we showed with uh, Luca De La Torre, Brendan Aronson in the middle, uh, even Jordan Morris now, uh, Paul Ariel. We, I think we've shown, and, and Gio Reyna, I think, is a great example that Charlie just mentioned an ability to play a few different ways, but I don't think we've learned how to play those different ways. I think we've shown flashes of that, mm -hmm. which I think in, in some ways is a security uh, for the future, but it's a little insecurity going into a world cup. I think we're going to default back to what we've gone with, but when you look at it to play against a team in a deep block, you're probably going to want Luca De La Torre on the field, right? You're probably going to want Eunice Musa on the field. Always. Maybe you're going to want Brendan Aronson where a team that's in a deep block is trying to play out and you have a little bit better of a press to, to, to get them uh, disorganized and other, other, parts of the field or in other situations, as opposed to having to have a perfect buildup every time. I think those things are really great because we're now, I think we're getting to a point from a depth standpoint where we have similar qual similar quality in terms of overall quality as a player, but very different types of players that can play in different types of scenarios, uh, which I think helps when you look at a world cup group of like, how's England going to play versus Iran versus Wales. Um, I'm just not sure that Greg is confident enough to, to, to not roll out just what he thinks is the best 11 every single game versus the best 11 based on that individual game, if that makes sense. No, no, that, that, that's good. I like that point a lot. Everybody, if you haven't already, hit like and subscribe. Turn on your notifications here on the YouTubes. Follow us on Twitter at ISWTPod. 
so you don't miss anything that we're doing, including giveaways. We have $100 gift cards to Paramount Plus that we've been giving away, like Oprah Winfrey giving out cars, and we'll continue that uh, long into the summer, so keep that support coming. And then, of course, if you're on a podcast platform listening to this later, make sure you drop a subscription there and also leave us a five-star review. We wouldn't say no to all the positive love you want to give us with those reviews. Okay, Charlie, I come to you. We haven't talked about the right back spot. It's like the one area that we haven't discussed. Reggie Cannon, solid in some areas, maybe not so solid in others. I don't think he necessarily solidified his spot, but I think he's still in the conversation. Joe Scally, what do you think his situation is? George Bello got a little bit of a run out. DeAndre Yedlin, I mean, I feel like, okay, we, we've identified some things and maybe solidified some positions. And as you mentioned, Charlie, the midfield is looking stacked at this point, especially mm-hmm. when Gio Reyna comes back and, and our wingers is included in that. But number nine, some spots in our back line. Who our number one is a goalkeeper, though it looks like Matt Turner. Still some question marks, but we haven't really touched this outside back position. What, what are your thoughts on, on what we're seeing so far in that area of the field? Well, I, I think Joe Scali has potential, but he, he didn't do well, uh, you know, to, to help his, his case. Uh, I think Serginho Dest is the right back, Anthony Robinson are the left back. In terms of backups on the right side, you're set. I mean, it's Yedlin is, is two. That I'd say Reggie Cannon now is three, and and you're looking at. So so uh, Dest is kind of like your number one on the right, and your number two on the left behind Anthony, and yes. then you have Yedlin and Cannon. Okay. Yes, and then you know, if you're looking at this year, if there's one player that can really boost his stock heading into the World Cup, it's Scally. I mean, if Joe Scally is playing really well in the Bundesliga, I think we're going to see him included in the group. I think. It's one of those things where he didn't take his opportunity, but you saw like flashes of how he could be good. You know, when he made that big challenge, um, he lost the ball. He won it back just with, with a with a strong challenge. You're like, okay, there's potential here. Yeah, you can it's, see he it. just there's hasn't put it all there. together yet. Right. And so, and so it's one of those player, players that over the course of time, I think he will be a, a legitimate uh, candidate to, to start. But right now, I think he he's still a, a work in progress like a lot of these guys. Okay, so – I got Charlie's thoughts on that. I think we all concur with that, Heath. So we don't really do this very often. We, we evaluate the players a lot. But what about the coaching staff? I mean, what did you think about Greg and, and how he handled these four games? And what, what are your thoughts on him overall and, and uh, everybody else that's involved on that side of things? I would say that this team is pretty well bought into what he's doing from, from outside looking in. And I don't even know if that's true. But based on results, based on the response of the team, based on the wide array of opponents we played in this four match window. Uh, this team is bought in and they're confident in themselves, but they're also confident in what their, 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 their plan is. But I still look at it with a little bit of kind of, uh, I think there was some tinkering that we saw when we built out with a three and defended with a four and things like that, that I've already mentioned. But uh, I, I think this team looks, looks motivated. Now it gets a little harder as you get closer to world cup as is Brendan Aronson going to be happy about being now, you get selected for a World Cup, you're happy. I mean, but, if Brendan Aronson balls it up for Leeds and starts crushing it in the Premier League, it's going to be very hard not to start him for our national team. I'm just throwing that out there. Now, we're we going to have... saying you can't not play him, and then we put our lineups out, and he's not playing. I know, so, like, I know, this I know. Is, this I is know. the real thing. And like, the well, same, I guess, and I guess the same goes for Gio Reyna. The same goes for Gio Reyna. It's same goes for Eunice Musa and goals. Weston McKinney and Tyler Adams. Like You know what, only you know what so I think? Spots. It was actually a nice silver lining, I'm sure... This is why they had this, this FIFA window. But we're going to have a month of their club form before those September friendlies, maybe even five mm-hmm. weeks. 
And I think that's going to be really important to see how certain players are fitting into potentially new clubs. We'll use Brendan Aronson, <clears throat> Ricardo Pepe. And, and yeah, it's going to be interesting. And I think that's going to dictate a lot, man. Those, those two games are going to be massive for a lot of guys. Not, yeah, o- not only the ones that are on the bubble, but also like the Brendan Aronsons of the world that are trying to break in and become regular starters for the team. Charlie, I'll come to you now on the coaching staff. What did you mm-hmm. think about Greg Verhalter? Just, just mind you, we only gave up one goal. In four games. So from a defensive perspective, even though we made a couple of changes, it always seemed like we were pretty stout defensively, had an identity of how we wanted to play behind the ball. Well, once we understood what I think the purpose of the four games was and, and kind of the cadence, because, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're like, oh, I want to test. I want to see players. But ultimately, he was saying, hey, I, I got my group. I know how we're playing. I want some continuity. I want people to get rhythm, but I'll I'll Mm -hmm. input somebody here and I'll input someone here. Uh, Overall, I'd say pretty good. I mean, you you beat Morocco 3-0. I think the scoreline didn't really highlight what, how the game really, I don't think it was a clear representation of how the match was, but it's a 3-0-1 nonetheless. And then you look at the Uruguay game and Uruguay, yes, they, they should have won. I mean, but, um, Sean, Sean Johnson stood tall, and I thought that was a great game for him to say, hey, I won an MLS Cup. I'm doing my thing. I should be considered. In, in yeah, this and, so in some is. ways, like, and I think, I think I'm going to use that really quick because I think this is important. You, based on how Sean Johnson performed, and there's other players we can throw into this, but he basically told Greg with his play, you can trust me. You can tr- no matter what the situation is, no matter who we're playing against, you can trust me to go out there and make plays, and I think that's a really important Thing. And I, I think that's what we all tried to do when we were with the national team as well. You want to put yourself in a position where first you, you've done enough to earn the opportunity. And then second, when you get the opportunity, you become somebody that the coach can trust because he knows what you bring to the table every single game, which always gets back to Heath's point of trying to be a seven or eight out of 10 every time you step on the field. All right, everybody, we're going to take our first and only break of In Soccer We Trust. When we come back, we're going to name our man of the camp. Hopefully that's possible. I don't think we're going to have the same answer. And we're also going to talk about the players that maybe Greg Berhalter should give up on for this World Cup cycle, and maybe they'll be a part of it next time going forward. So don't go anywhere. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back, everyone, to In Soccer We Trust. I'm Jimmy Conrad, alongside Conrad. two of my favorite former <laughs> Cream Cheese Conrad team players. <laughs> That's my new nickname, Cream Cheese. Uh, I'm here with Charlie Davies and Hollywood Heath Pierce, and we are breaking down what we learned from this June Camp Four games with the U.S. Men's National Team. Heath, I'm going to come to you first. I'm going to put you on the hot seat. Let's talk about who was your man of the camp. Who was the player that stepped up and really – 
put his stamp on things, either to solidify his position uh, as a leader, perhaps, or as the number one in goal, or as the man in midfield, or as our number nine. I mean, who who really stood out and, and made the biggest difference for you over these four games? Oh, God, it's so hard to pick one player because every game was different. It. Straddle I'm, go, the I'm going already, to. Really. I'm going to. <laughs> I, I'm. I'm going to give you a really long preface before I cowardly give you a name. But like, you know, each game was different. Each match was different. I would love to. I would. I, I mean, if I had to go consistently, I think uh, I'm not going to say uh, uh, Epic, Epictetus, Casanova. Yeah, he said Eunice. Eunice. He said Eunice. I'd say Eunice is probably the one that was the most consistent for me in this camp, but wasn't a star in every single game. And I think that's sort of the sign of somebody that you can trust, that you can play with, with, with his age, just hoping that he's getting consistent games come, uh, come the fall for his club team. But I would have to say him, Brendan Aronson, I thought was average against El Salvador, but very good uh, against, against um, Morocco, two very different games. But I don't think he was ever bad, but I have to probably give it to Eunice Musa in terms of his consistency over four games, if that's what we're judging here. Yeah. Okay, so Yunus Musa comes from Heath Pierce. If you guys want to join in on this conversation, let us know who your man of the camp was in the comments right now. Hit us up on ISWT Pod on Twitter. If you're listening to this later with your man of the camp, we'll definitely engage with you there on Twitter as well. Now I'm going to throw it over to Charlie. Chuck Wagon Davies, take it away. Who is your man of the camp, Chuck? My man of the camp is, is Yunus Musa. But, but, <laughs> but, but, I, but I will say most surprised by Luca Del Torre. I think okay. he, 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 okay. he moved forward the most. I think he benefited the most from this camp. If I had to pick one player, it's Luca Del Torre. Obviously he can't fit into this midfield. It's stacked, you know, mm -hmm. but I think he's going to be a, an important cog in, in terms of coming into the game and, and winning possession, getting in good spots, generating chances on, in those matches that we need a little bit more from uh, creativity, a little bit more of, of someone who's willing to run at defenders and play one twos. So I think he, he will play an important part. Uh, Charlie, on, the, on that, do you think that he's developed uh, in these last few games? Because we were a little critical that he was a little bit of a pass back Pete, a little bit of a square ball player yeah. his first few games. And now he's starting to have a little bit more of that range of dribbling and passing. Has that changed for you or, or I mean, just generally I, I speaking? Say, I would say not so much he's developed. I think it's just the confidence playing in the group. And so when you're, when you feel like you've done enough to win the respect of everybody and, and, you know, you know, when you're in a game, this is more, more so for a number nine, players are going to look to you and try and get you the ball. You're the first option when you've won their trust, when they say you're the best case scenario for us, us to score or create. As soon as I get the ball, my eyes are up and I'm going to look for you. And it's the same thing with Christian right now. Players get the ball and they're like, where's Christian? But I think we're starting to see them not just be, rely on Christian. And for Luca Del Torre, he's, he's playing well. He's, he's been able to break pressure. So once you are, are pressed by a team and you play to a player and he gets out of it and he's looking for, for ideas, then you say, okay, we can depend on it. And I think that allowed him to grow within this team. And so he took the most steps forward with this camp because he's, he's just so clean and he's, he's smooth. He makes good decisions, but he's also now looking to go forward and, and not relying on other players to do it. Now, now I'm going to jump in on De La Torre. What I think he is also very good at just in general is his recognition of taking what's being given to him. So was, your play, was he your player of the window? No, my player of the window. 
Keith. Actually, he wasn't a player at all. It's Greg Berhalter, everybody. No, I'm, just I'm just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> I, was, I was about I was, to take this <laughs> For anybody, yeah. For it. Yeah, that, all, 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 all of say, those Damian Hurst are going to come off the wall. And there's a little button that we're, we're on this thing called StreamYard to do this. And there's a button that just says leave studio. And I was hovering over <laughs> yep. that when Jimmy went down that route. Like, <laughs> yeah, I was, I was about to say, okay. I, no, it, no, no. So done. I'll get there. I'll get there. So but, but with regard to De La Torre, and I agree with you, Chuck. I think he he took the biggest strides to solidify his position and how much value he brings to the team in different situations. But what I like about his individual games, if he can notice that there's a little bit of space in front of him, he takes it, right? There's no hesitation. And also I thought an El Salvador game, because he hit a couple deep crosses and things that I've been looking for. Like at some point, <laughs> if, if they're taking away crosses to get to the end line, I feel like De La Torre does a nice job of, of like, all right, they're giving us a space. I'm just going to dump it in, even if I'm a little bit deeper. And obviously we took advantage of it and JMO scored. Hey, Julius now, is coming at you hard. I'm just, well, that's that. well, you know what? We share the same initials, JC. Jimmy's in a so, shipping container. That's so funny. Jimmy's laying on a yoga mat, uh, doing this podcast <laughs> facing upwards. <laughs> <laughs> I can't confirm or deny where I am right now, but someone said uh, you're on a, on a pool floaty. Uh, if you were to zoom out, you'd be in a pool laying on a floaty right now. <laughs> All I want to say is, is he's namaste. Inside, he's inside, namaste. He's inside the tire of a monster truck. Oh, that's so funny. Oh, gosh. Yeah, if you can't see this and you're just listening right now, go find our channel on, on YouTube and you'll have a good idea of what my background looks like. I can't confirm or deny any rumors at this time, but namaste. I actually thought that um, Aronson showed and demonstrated that he has tremendous value when he starts his starting positions in the middle of the park. I thought Pulisic actually demonstrated some good leadership. I, I think Charlie touched upon it, where he not only is looking to create some space and get into 1v1 situations for himself, but also to hold up play so that he can bring other people into the game. I think that's important. And I really was impressed with him handing off the penalty to Haji Wright. I thought that was a very cool gesture, and I think it speaks to the maturation of him as a leader. But it's hard to go against Yunus Musa, and I think Yunus Musa would be my player of the camp as well because of his adaptability. We asked him to do a couple different things in midfield based on the opponent. And it was a double pivot for the first two games. Um, Granada, he didn't play. Or did he come on off, off the bench? It wasn't as much of needed in that one. But in El Salvador, we needed him to push a little bit higher and, and play off the shoulder a little bit higher of Tyler Adams in that particular match. And I thought he did it to great effect, especially when we went down a man. He really took the responsibility of, like, I'm going to figure out a way to, to still have an impact and influence on this game. And I thought that uh, he showed a lot as well. So it's hard to go against Yunus Musa. I do want to say something in support of Jesus Ferrer, though, because – Outside of his four goals, he created an opportunity against Morocco right before halftime. A great opportunity. Obviously, we want him to hit the back of the net. But when I compare him to what Raul Jimenez is doing for Mexico, Raul Jimenez isn't getting those types of opportunities. They've been really stifled in that transition game, and he's not really getting himself in great spots to finish. But Jesus Ferrer is doing that. He had a couple good chances against Uruguay. Not clear cut, not as clear cut as the Morocco game, but still pretty good chances. Then obviously he scored four against Granada. And then when he came on at halftime, against El Salvador. Within five minutes, he's already in a 1v1 situation against the goalkeeper. And I don't want that to be lost in, in I don't know, the, 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 the shuffle, whatever the phrase is there, of, of, yeah, he scored the four goals, and yes, he played well, but th there's something to be said about being in good spots, and eventually you hope that he'll do the same in the World Cup, and when he gets there, he'll hit the back of the net. But I worry as a coach when I'm coaching if my players aren't getting themselves in those positions because the finishing seems like, even though it's hard and difficult, that it's getting into those spots that I think is the hardest. Maybe, maybe Chuck, you feel different about the number nine spot, but I thought that Ferrer deserved at least a shout as we talk about our man of the camp. No, I think he's made progress. And it's also to the detriment of the other strikers who didn't get there. You know, they didn't take their opportunity. I mean, Haji Wright 
we saw some things, but then ultimately he he didn't he didn't impress. And then Greg Veralter wanted to point point him out that he he didn't uh, take take the opportunity. So which allows Ricardo Pepe to still be floating around. He's there. In, He's floating in, around in, in the top top three right now. Um, you know, there's a lot of players who ha- who stand a big chance to to uh, gain some momentum. Daryl DK, if he can get going, um, Josh Sargent could still come up. You know, whoever scoring goals in fit will be in the conversation. Mm-hmm. But um, right now, Jesus Ferrer is your guy, and it's because he fits the system. Now, pressing. And, and, you know, working on both sides of the ball, good runs, getting on the ball, but hold up play, he still needs to improve drastically to be, you know, running the point for the U.S. Men's National Team in a World Cup. World Cup. So, um, okay, okay, so he can get there. I, no, I agree with you. And I, I, man, the start of the season is going to be so huge for some of these players. Most, I guess for me, Ricardo Pepe in particular. Keith, me and Charlie both named like five players each. You only named Eunice Musa. Was there any other honorable mentions you wanted to throw out there for Man of the Camp? I just I, I continue to look at Brendan Aronson as somebody who has a, an impact that's probably not going to come in the form. I mean, he's got a lot of assists in the national team, by the way, um, and decent amount of goals. But uh, maybe he doesn't. But uh, he, he's he's <laughs> he's just a player that I think the team is better when he's on the field in all those ways. Like I'm talking about pressing, doing some of this dirty work that triggers the press that forces people like, you know, sometimes you're waiting on the field and all of a sudden you see someone go, you know, you've got to go next or otherwise the play breaks down that sort of thing. Uh, he, he just brings a lot to this team and an energy and, and, and a hunger that we're seeing through his development at the club level that I want to see that continue. So he was one as well. And Walker Zimmerman continues to impress me more and more. And maybe it's less so Walker, but more so the security that we're getting, having a traditional <clears throat> center back on the field. That wasn't so much what we saw for years of, Oh, you got a good left foot in 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 John Anthony Brooks and his ability to distribute the ball, but you know he's 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 beeping a little bit when when he's on the turn, uh, like a, like a sixteen wheeler um, or eighteen wheeler, and so <laughs> and, and and I think that's something different. Like we've sort of we've di- we've hey everybody than- everybody Heath doesn't like John Anthony no. Brooks. I, 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 I'm going to invite John Anthony Brooks to Thanksgiving this year. I'm not sure if, it, if he'll come, but just for the record, I I I, I just think that. For Walker Zimmerman, we have now established a back line that has a rhythm to it, that has a purpose, that has a leader. And while it might it may not be the highest quality that we want in terms of a player that has more tools, it's it's at least established steady. And, and steady and confident. And it's like, okay, let's move on because we've got something there. And I think that's another part of the part of the game. And then Sean Johnson as a third, we don't know who's going to be playing uh in, in the World Cup, come World Cup time. We could have both of our one and two not having played maybe maybe played three games uh from now until then and so having somebody that i think may be able to challenge on some level or at least push those players to really be in top form where greg's going to go elsewhere i think is the best case scenario for for the two players that that are obviously our one and two at the moment okay now let's pivot then over to which players greg should maybe give up on at this stage given that we only have two more games left before he's got to name a 26-man roster i'll go first uh, usually I go last. I'm going to go first on this one. I'll give you three names. I'm going to say Joe Scally. I'm going to say mm. George Bellow. And mm. I'm going to say Malik Tillman. And when I looked at these players, they didn't make the most of their opportunities. But then I went and looked at their ages. Joe Scally's 19. George Bellow's 20. And Malik Tillman is 20 as well. The future is incredibly bright for all three of these guys. I mean, I'm really excited about their futures. But there's always going to be a handful of players where maybe their time isn't now. 
And and that and I just think that maybe they're going to be having to look towards 2026 to break into the roster and be something special for us. Then, uh, Heath, I'll actually throw it back to you. You know, which players of this June camp roster do you think that Greg maybe should be looking past now and giving more of these minutes, valuable minutes in these next two games to somebody else? I would say that both those players are still fringe, like to like not completely written off. Uh, maybe Joe Scally's written off at this point for the World Cup. Uh, but I'd say think Tillman, he, I think Tillman, if he goes in and he's playing regular games, I think Greg likes him. Uh, I think Greg's going to continue to protect him and, and nurture him as a player. Cause you could see there are some things there. They just, you couldn't see, they didn't, they didn't materialize into anything worthwhile. In fact, more negative than positive, obviously over this camp. So I would say he's one that if he's playing, I think he's going to continue to be nurtured in this way, but George Bellow, it's hard. Like, you take Joe Scally out, you take George Bellow out, and now you've got Serginio Dest as your backup left back. I think that's a little bit fearful, but no one's really stepped up to, 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 to take that. Um, and, and as good as Bellow is on the ball and how comfortable he looks and his, his obvious uh, athletic qualities, he might also not be ready when we're talking about a World Cup, but certainly international quality, just maybe not World Cup quality. So I agree with you. I, I'm, I'm trying to think if there's anybody else that I would yeah, well let's let's throw it out to the audience. Anybody in the comments, if you want to let us know who you think we should give up on at this point, we get a, a shout for Christian Roldan. Uh 32 caps, zero goals as an attacking player. That's that's a stat that's out there. Uh Charlie, I'll come to you. Any any players you feel like we should just give up on? Give up on seems pretty dramatic. I, I feel like it's just for the time being, because I think a lot of especially these younger players that we're mentioning. Yeah, it's kind of harsh. Yeah, it does feel a little bit harsh. But there might be a player like Roldan who, if he doesn't make this World Cup, he's probably not going to be anywhere near the 2026 team. Right. Um, there's not, there's, there's not a player I'd say give up on George Bellow. I don't think he's got the quality enough to play with the national team now, but because that's a, a, a position that we need somebody to step into. Oh, the MLS attackers are coming hard right now. They got three of the four. They, uh, sorry, Charlie, I got distracted. Yeah. But, um, you know, he stands a, a great chance if he produces and plays to get back in the conversation. So you, you don't want to say give up. But if you had to make up the roster in next week or, you know, then after the next camp, then, yeah, George Bella would be on it. Uh, Joe Scally would be on it. Again, those two players can can flip a switch and all of a sudden they're playing the Bundesliga matches and they're starting every game and then they're they're here. You know, Mark McKenzie. He could flip a switch and be in the conversation for for center back. Uh, Tillman, he didn't show enough, so I would drop him too. But if he plays at, at Munich, which Munich. I, I I don't see him stepping in and playing and getting considerable minutes at Bayern Munich. But if, you don't if think he he's going to get in over Muller or Kimmich or Goretzka? Come on, man, have some. Yeah, Kimmich, uh, you move to the side and, and, and Tillman, you can play over. No, <laughs> I'd I, I would I, love that if that happened, but I, I don't it's see a tall order. I, yeah, I don't see that happening. And so I think we're pretty set with the roster um, in terms of, of the guys. I don't think anyone's going to come out of left field necessarily. That's always uh, a possibility. But I think we're, we're pretty, pretty good. So now it's based on form, who, who will play and who won't play. Well, I mean, you look at you look at uh, Sebastian Legette, You look at uh, you look at Roldan, key players under Greg up until now, and now with Luca De La Torre, and then you're talking about the return of 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 uh, uh, Giorena. Like you, you're 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 talking about a depth pool. Okay, you get to 26. Maybe there's a surprise in there that that you thought that that was maybe on a bubble, but you're starting to 
push some of these players out. I do think it is a, a toss up where I think Ariola is, is still heavily. Repl- uh, I think maybe Ariola or or Jordan Morris go. I don't know if both do. Um, but I, I start to look at the fact that on twenty three players, if we're pretty confident in three center backs, uh, or you know likely four, and we're going to have a versatile back line where you bring three on your fullbacks, that would be seven. You're still working with pretty good numbers. Three three goalkeepers. You're at ten. You've now got thirteen players that you've got to put through your midfield and your attacker. So you're going to have to go to that depth, uh, and you can't. You know, like that's at twenty three, let alone twenty six. So I'm reading right now that the FIFA World Cup 2022 squad submission guidelines and rules. The deadline date for submitting the final squad for all 32 teams is set 30 days before the World Cup opening match, mm-hmm. which I believe will be, what, October 17th. So that's that's going to be maybe less than a month after those two September friendlies or around a month. That is that is interesting. I want to make sure we all knew that because there's going to be a nice run-up to that and a lot of fun podcasts leading into that big roster announcement. But uh, guys, I'm going to call the end of the show here. I want to get your final thoughts. Charlie, I'm going to come to you first. We have a big week of podcasts next week, so make sure you have subscribed. If you haven't already, hit like, turn on your notifications, all that good stuff. We appreciate your support. We just rolled over 5,000 subscribers, which is a very big deal on the YouTube. So thank you for all of your love and adoration and support for your, your three favorite former U.S. men's national team players. But Charlie, final thoughts for today's podcast in terms of what we learned from this June camp or anything else you want to talk about. I would just say Luca Della Torre took the most steps forward and, and that we know his roster spot is solidified one and two, knowing that how deep and, and talented our midfield is he's probably not going to be a starter, but a very influential off the bench. So Luca Della Torre, I think moved forward the most benefited the most from this, these, these recent games and you know, he still got was, just to jump in really quick on on De La Torre. Heracles yeah. got relegated in the Eredivisie, right. his team. So his he, his he has a clause to leave. He has a clause to leave if they get relegated, though. So like uh, he will be leaving. He will be leaving, but it's just like where does he go? Because obviously that's going to be an important part of it. I think he's solidified no matter what. But well, we're talking about standard of the age, possibly. That's right in Belgium. Mm-hmm. So you yeah. know you, you could see him go there with Ronnie Dyla, who just departed New York City FC. So that could be interesting play for him. But you you know, as a player, you got to put yourself in the best possible situation where you are going – nothing's ever guaranteed, but mm-hmm. you're, you're in a position where you're going to play every week because that's the only way you're going to get get on the World Cup roster. If you're not playing, then you're, you're probably going to miss the boat yeah, unless you're Christian Pulisic, Weston McKinney. Right. You know, other than that, if you're not right. playing, you, you might miss the boat. So – because um, it was because the coach can use that against you, which is the last thing you want is your coach going, well, yes. I'm not playing for your club. I'm going to go with somebody else. That's a great final thought. How about you, Heath Pierce? What do you got for us? No, I mean, uh, I, I, I pretty much said it for today. The only thing is, again, I, I continue to be excited about where things look. The, the, my final thought is Jimmy talked about these 19s and 20 year olds. But come 2026, we're going to have a bunch of 19s and 20 year olds that are 15 and 16 now or 14 and 15 now that are going to be challenging for that, those spots. So while this is sort of a, uh, an eye-opening World Cup for us in terms of our development, we could go far and we're looking towards 2026, there's a wave of players that are going to be challenging these same exact players. Uh, it'll be interesting to see kind of who rises uh, as, as we go and host uh, the three-nation World Cup. 
What a great problem to have. The future mm-hmm. is bright, everybody. So thank you for listening to In Soccer We Trust. On behalf of producer Des, producer Alex, Charlie Chuckwagon Davies, and Hollywood Heath Pierce, I'm Jimmy Conrad saying thank you for listening and watching In Soccer We Trust. We will see you next week with three fresh new shows for you. We'll see you then. Later.